So, Father, this morning we just confess that we need you. Uh, Lord, we need you as the God of all comfort, God of all grace. You are, uh, you are our source of strength. And so, Lord, we lift up grieving families. Uh, we lift up their need. But, Lord, uh, we pray that this would be used, just the recognition of, of um, the frailty of life overall, that, that Lord, our, our life is in Christ, and, and, and Lord, use that to, to draw each of us closer and in greater dependence on you. God, we desperately need you. Help us to see that. Lord, I thank you that, that you've given us your word, and um, Lord, we're, we're trusting you that we wouldn't, I mean, there's some incredible, fantastic things to look at in scripture that, I mean, it's incredible information, Lord. We don't wanna just interact with information. This is your word to us, and so Lord, we wanna hear from you this morning, and, and we're trusting you for that. And so God, would you take the weakness of my flesh, my stumbling lips, and set that aside, and, and just in the power of your word, and the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us, and be glorified in our lives. Father, we do lift up uh, Living Faith Tampa and their need for growing space and um, Lord the need for this church to see the facilities continue kingdom work and, and Lord we're asking would this be a good conjunction of, of, of uh, you know an opportunity and, 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 a, and an answer, a resource that's so desperately needed for our brothers and sisters there in Tampa and so God we don't wanna leave anything on the table and so Lord we just ask for that we ask that you'd work in the hearts of Maranatha Church and, and um, Lord, uh, help them to be full of faith. If they're, going, if they're going to give it away, then Lord, if it please you to see Tampa, uh, Living Faith Tampa, use it to win souls and train, equip people for ministry to multiply, then Lord, we trust you for that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, last time we were in Genesis chapter 10. And we saw, we're looking at the kingdoms of this world. We saw the beginning of the kingdom of Babel under Nimrod. And so now here in Genesis 11, we're gonna look at the rebellion against God that takes place at Babel. And what they're doing is they're ignoring God's commission. That's your first blank. They're constructing a tower with the goal of making their own way to the celestial. Verse one says, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. They said, and they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Uh, Genesis chapter nine verse one was just two chapters ago. And already they're advocating, they're openly rebelling against the command of the Lord to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the whole earth. Instead, how do we keep everyone on this plane of Shinar under our control? And what we're seeing here in this rebellion, these, are, these events take place during the days of Peleg. We saw that in chapter 10, verse 25. It's in Peleg's days that the earth is divided. Uh, and we looked at some of the implications of that. You can get that message in our sermon finder at mbtkc.org. But I want you to remember the scale, the time scale of when all these events are unfolding, okay? Noah 
is still alive when all of this is going down. When, his, when, when, when one of his uh, greater grandsons is pulling this Nimrod move, little baby Nimrod is throwing an antichrist fit. Noah's alive for this, okay? He lives for 250 years after Babel. Shem lives for 400 years after Babel, and this occurs 326 years prior to the call of Abraham. And so just remember how close everything still is to original creation. You remember when we were going through this in Genesis, we saw that there wasn't a lot of space chronologically between the life of Adam and the life of Noah's family. In other words, all of the material, all of the information is reliably propagated. Well, so also with the patriarchs of Israel. Uh, Shem would have had input into Abraham's life, right? There would, have been, there would have been a transmission of all this information to Abraham and the nation of Israel. And so everything's very close together. But what God's doing right here is he's working to divide out the families of the earth throughout, or the, the families of Noah throughout the earth. That's his objective. He's dividing the world according to these three sons of Noah. And we saw the breakdown in chapter 10. But what's happening now is mankind is, is working to fight this division and he's trying to achieve union against God's word, God's plan. Remember we saw this when we examined Nimrod last time. What was his call? What was his claim? Leave the institutes of Shem and follow after the religion of Nimrod. He's got a new way. He's got another way uh, that's right in his own eyes. God's plan has never changed. In Genesis chapter one, and now we see it in Genesis chapter nine, God's plan is a plan of multiplication that through division replenishes the earth. Uh, God told Noah in, Noah in uh, uh, Genesis 9.1, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. The spirit of Antichrist is at work through false unity. So get this down in your notes. The Antichrist works through a false unification in order to unite mankind against God's word over their life. That's how it always works. Um, you know, you'll read about that, how it ultimately goes down in, Gen- in Revelation chapter 13. The Antichrist and the false prophet and the image of the, the Antichrist will, will be used to unite the world in rebellion against the word of God. That's what will happen in Revelation chapter 13. And it won't work. And God warns us that it doesn't work. In Proverbs eleven twenty one, the Bible says, though hand Join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. That's exactly what happens with the Antichrist. He promotes a false unity that's in rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ and he will not be unpunished. Revelation 13 will happen, but so will Revelation 19. There's a little homework for you, okay? The king will come and, uh, and, and he will rule. The seed of the righteous shall be delivered and so the armies of the Antichrist will be destroyed and and that false unity will be reset and and Israel will be saved, Romans chapter 11. Okay, so let's look at Nimrod again. This is, Nimrod is a type of antichrist. He pictures, he gives you insight into the person and the activity of the antichrist. But he's the world's first dictator. Um, We saw the start of his rebellion in Genesis chapter 10, verses eight through 10. 
And we saw that Nimrod, is a re- he's a rebel, right? He's a rebel against God. He is a mighty hunter before the Lord and, and he's not seeking souls for God's kingdom. He's seeking them for his own. And he has a great advantage. Everybody on the planet speaks the same language. Notice verse one. The whole earth is of one language and of one speech. And uh, that makes it easy to propagate information, makes it easy to keep everybody on the same page. Uh, Babel changes all of that. We'll look at that in just a second. Now, the time will come for a unified language again. You see that in Zephaniah chapter three, verse nine. But the time for that is after the whole of human civilization, human society, is united under the Lord Jesus Christ. Zephaniah chapter three, verse nine says, for then, once the King of kings and the Lord of lords is running the show, then will I turn the people to a pure language that they may call, all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. And it is interesting to me, all of our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters are very convinced that that pure language will be Spanish. They never stop talking about that. Anytime we come to this verse, the Spanish speakers are convinced it will be Spanish. I don't know why, but Will, Pastor Mott is very adamant about that. And uh, if you know him, Marco Castro, I think he started that teaching. But, uh, you know, I'd have to say, I, I don't know what language it'll be. If I had to bet, it'd be Hebrew. That'd be my, that'd be my guess, but I don't know. Uh, but we'll all be speaking the same language again. It'll be nice to be able to talk to anyone about anything again. I mean, you know, you could talk to Abraham today, but you wouldn't understand him, you know. I barely speak English. So this is the, the, I, I'm looking forward to that day. So he's building, right, they find, verse two, they find this plain in the land of Shinar and they dwell there, okay? So he finds this plain of Shinar. This is what we saw in chapter 10, the kingdom that Nimrod builds. It's begun by Nimrod, this place where everybody's on the same page, speaking and minding the same thing. This is the place that will result in confusion. They build this gate to God, Bab-el, Right, gate of God, gate to God. And before our story, before this history is finished, we'll find out that God turns it into Babel, a place of confusion. We've actually kept, we've Englishized the, the, the concept of Babel, haven't we? If somebody's speaking gibberish, uh, somebody's saying something stupid or something that we don't like, what, what did he say, what did she say? Oh, they were just babbling. They didn't say anything. They were talking and all that came out of their face was hot gas. Uh, they're a babbler. It's confusion, confusing. Um, so, so Nimrod's got a place where he's building his kingdom. Everybody's on the same page and they're gonna make their own way to heaven. We'll look at this a little bit more in a moment. Now, how does he build? Let's talk about the methodology. How does man build? Well, this is probably a ziggurat. Uh, it's a stepped pyramid. A, a ziggurat was um, a, a very common from this uh, this time in the history of human civilization. Greek historian Herodotus claimed to have seen the ruins of Babel. And this is what he said in 460 BC. He said it had a solid central tower, one furlong. So the first course is one eighth of a mile each direction. It's a big massive construct. One eighth of a mile or one furlong or 200, 201 meters square 
with a second erected on top of it, and then a third, and so on, up to eight. And when you look at ziggurats in history or illustration, typically, they will be eight-step pyramids. That's common. So what Herodias is describing is typical. All eight towers can be climbed by a spiral way running around the outside. And about halfway up, there are seats for those who make the journey to rest on. So it's a very big building. It's a long way up and and you have to kind of make camp halfway up for a while to recover in order to make the summit. Uh, So it's 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 a big tower that's being built. Now notice how they're building it. Notice how man builds or how man likes to construct You know, when God directs men to approach him, it's always from an altar that has not been touched by human instruments. It's not gonna, you're not gonna sculpt stone, you're not gonna pour concrete, you're not, it's not going to be something man-made. It has to be made of of things that man has not corrupted. Look at Exodus 20, verse 25. God says, if you wanna worship me, right? If thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, if you build it, if you shape it, thou hast polluted it. Well, every brick in this tower is fashioned by men, right? It is handmade, man-made construction. God says, no, use unhewn stones. Use what I gave you for your construction. And it is interesting, whenever you you think about the, uh, the image that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about in Daniel chapter two, and he dreamed about the kingdoms of the world till the coming of Christ. And you remember in that image, it starts out with this mighty, great, and glorious kingdom represented by the head of gold, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon. And then these kingdoms, as they progress, they increase in power or in strength, but they decrease in value. And it comes all the way down to the toes, right? Clay and iron mingled together. What takes out the kingdoms of this world? Well, it's an unhewn stone. Remember in Daniel chapter two, he sees this stone made cut without hands. Uh, No man touches this stone. It obliterates the kingdoms of men and then it fills the whole earth. And that stone, that rock is who? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He is our rock. And so, so it is interesting the way, God cons- the way God instructs man to construct in terms of worship in the Old Testament economy. You don't, you don't build an altar in worship to me with your material, your ability, or your hands. Uh, you use uncut stone. Um, Nimrod's kingdom Everything that's, that's that in this tower, it's all man-made. It starts with brick. There's another builder with brick in your Bible. Brick is kind of actually a, a fairly significant theme in the Bible. Who was the other builder of brick? Well, the three little pigs. That's not in your Bible. That's a nursery rhyme. Uh, Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh's another type of antichrist. And, and what's, he do, what's he got? He's got God's people in slavery using straw right, and, 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 and the earth to build bricks, to build his Nimrodic kingdom. That's kind of how these guys, uh, that's how they work. Okay, for mortar, they've got slime. Slime's associated with Sodom and Gomorrah in your Bible. Genesis 14, we'll get there. Uh, verse 10, Lord willing, says the veil of Siddim was full of slime pits. And so they've got, they've got the materials now to build this 
tower, this temple, this gateway to the celestial. But now let's talk about their motive, okay? Verse four, uh, Genesis 11, verse four. Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. So they wanna build a city and a tower. The tower's top is gonna give them access to heaven and let us make us a name lest we obey Genesis 9, verse one. We don't wanna be scattered like God commanded. We wanna build our kingdom right here, right now and, and just fast forward and skip all this biblical human history. We're just gonna make our own way to heaven. So what's he doing? Why is man building? What's his motive? Well, he's making a city because this is what Satan does. This is the spirit of Satan or antichrist. He is a counterfeiter. Whatever God is, whatever God does, he wants that to be true of himself, by himself, for himself. And so God's making, he's building a city, right? New Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And so he's, he's building a city. He's not looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews 11.10. He's building a city that will be his kingdom that will fall out to his glory. But he's also making a tower. He's producing a counterfeit way to heaven. He's counterfeiting the heavenly city, but also he's counterfeiting the right way to God. And so he's building a high place. That's what he's doing. There's no high place on this, on this part of the world. It's the plain of Shinar. So it's very productive. Uh, it's, it's, it's gonna be a place where they can grow their food and, and, and raise their crops and take care of their, you know, their, 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 their herds, you know, that kind of thing. But, but they need a high place. And, uh, and, and, and we'll find out maybe it's a little more than that based on God's commentary on it. But throughout history, towers, these high places, symbolize man's attempt to reach up to heaven. You see it in Egyptian culture, these obsolescence, these totem poles. Uh, you see it even in, in, in evangelical Christianity. You'll see it in, in Christian history. Uh, what does it look like when Christians build one of these high places? We would call it a what? Here's the church, right? Here's the steeple. I did it wrong. There we go, okay. I was a little kid last time I did this. Yeah, here's the, here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the doors. There's the fee, okay, that's lame, but it's a steeple. What, what are they doing? Why are these cathedrals, why do they have these huge high ceilings, these sweeping ceilings? The idea is to draw the soul, the, 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 the focus, the, the, the worship of man upward to the heavens and these steeples, they're supposed to be really these elongated things pointing the way to heaven. And I'm not saying, you know, if you grew up in a church that had a steeple, I'm not saying that's the hotbed for the anti, I'm not, nothing, okay? Like, it just, it is what it is. Men like to build things that point the way to heaven. That's, they, they like, we, we, we're wired in terms of how we think. Uh, we're wired for high places. Well, well, there's a spirit behind that. That's, that, you know, he's the prince of the power of the air, okay? That's just, there's a spirit behind it. And the Antichrist, just because he's of his father, the devil, he wants to ascend above the heights of the clouds. That's how he's wired, Isaiah 14, 14. And that culminates in his kingdom when the anti, actual antichrist does come and, and, and attempts to rule and reign 
over a humanity that's unified in its rebellion against God. You'll read about it in Revelation 17 and 18, and what you see is a city and a false way to the celestial. You'll see a false city and a false religion, and it's called Babylon. It's this same place of Shinar. And it's all rebellion. It's a defiant attempt to unify mankind against God and to establish a one world religious headquarters. We want everyone unified, not under uh, the person of God and the word of God. No, we want it under a, a little g God who rules over men. Uh, let's build us a city, let's build a tower whose top will reach to heaven and let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build our kingdom. And this kingdom that Nimrod establishes, this is the beginning of all Babylonian mystery religion. All idolatrous mystery religious activity has its roots in this plain of Shinar in Nimrod's kingdom. Uh, you'll see it, I mean, in any man-made religion, you'll see it, it shows up. I mean, everything from astrology to, to uh, uh, um, um, Mary worship, it has its roots right here. In astrology, uh, the Babylonians are famous for having, having developed the zodiac. And, uh, you know, they said a person's destiny is tied to whatever sign he's born under. And that shows up even in Egyptian culture. The, the pyramids were constructed with mathematical relationship to the stars. The Sphinx has astrological significance. It's got a head of a woman symbolizing the virgin, Virgo, the virgin. And it has the body of a lion symbolizing Leo. Virgo is the first sign of the zodiac, Leo is the last. And so this religion from beginning to end covers man's approach to the celestial. Uh, this all starts in Babylon, in Shinar. It all starts with Nimrod. Uh, this is where the virgin cult originates. Uh, it's, it's, it's the story of Nimrod and his wife and her child. And so in terms of the chief god of the Babylonians, Murdoch, this false god Murdoch, that's Nimrod in their, in their system. And his wife had a virgin-born son. And this was the beginning of the mother-child, virgin-mother-child cult. And it shows up everywhere. You see it in Egypt. There it's under the name Isis and Osiris. It shows up in India, in Rome. Uh, you even see it in China. All over the world, you've got this worship of a virgin mother with child. And that all starts back with Nimrod's kingdom. Uh, all, of it, all of it is just a typical Romans chapter one rebellion where the creature recognizes the creator, but instead of submitting to the creator, it's the promotion of self-worship. It's all Romans chapter one rebellion because what's happening? Man is making a name for himself. He's not submitting to the name of Jesus Christ. He's not bowing his knee and confessing at the name of Jesus Christ that Christ is Lord. No, he wants to, he wants to make a name for himself. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, this, all of this is a symbol of pride. Let us make us a name. Mankind was given a name. God gave him the name Adam, which means taken from earth, from the earth. And that name should cause man to glorify God. God could make a family from the dirt. That's how, that's how awesome God is. But no, what man wants to do is he sees the creator, he recognizes the creator, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to submit 
to the creator. He wants to stand in the place of God as God, showing himself that he is God. He doesn't want to give his life to building God's kingdom. He wants to go a way that's right in his own eyes, and that is built into the flesh of everyone that ever walked this planet. Mankind wants to be the one to ascend into heaven and glorify himself. So we've been referencing this, Isaiah 14, verse 13. This, is all, this all starts in the heart of Satan himself. Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also in the mount of the congregation in the sides of the, in the, sides of the north. I will make my own way to the celestial without being submitted to the creator. That is the heart, that is the core of the, the antichrist spirit, right? It is the, it is the, it's the mystery of iniquity at work, just revealing something, someone, some sentiment that stands in the place of God as God, showing himself that they're God. Now, notice this here in verse four. Man-made religion, this is typical, So from Babylon to today, it's always the same. Human religion never offers eternal security. This tower, its top's gonna do what? What's the top of this tower gonna do? Absolutely give the assurance of reaching the celestial. No, notice the next word, it's may, maybe. So you go all in with false religion and maybe, maybe it will work out for you. Whose top may reach unto heaven. You'll never find eternal security in man-made religion. You you give everything for it, but it never promises you eternal life. And notice the picture here, it's let us, we need to do this. There's an anti-trinity picture there, right? They're they're showing that they're, they're trying to somehow, they're trying to make contact with the celestial without submission to their creator. Now remember, again, the people who live through the events of Genesis chapter six, they came over on the boat through the flood, okay? They know everything. They know when the sons of God, these celestial sons of God, cohabit with the daughters of men and the human genome gets corrupted and man's heart gets, I mean, turned only evil continually. Only one family finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. They know the story of how God set the, hit the reset button on all flesh and they don't care. They're longing to go back to the civilization of Atlantis where the gods ruled among men. And here's Nimrod, this is what we saw last time. He's got this attitude, this spirit of antichrist on him. He's a one world dictator and what he's wanting to do, it's the chronicles of Gilgamesh, okay? Gilgamesh is Nimrod, what's he looking for? He's looking to become an immortal god to be able to rule among men. That's the, that's the, the typical story. And so what, what are they doing? They're building this tower to get access to the celestial without submission to God's word in Genesis chapter nine, verse one. What are they doing? They're trying to make contact with these sons of God. I mean, that's, I, mean I, I think that's, that, that's the conclusion that, that you can come to when you kind of put it all together. Somehow they're trying to get access to these celestial beings that they knew were just on the other side of the flood, interacting and ruling over men. And so, you know, here it is. Uh, even today, human culture riffs on this. You see it, you see it uh, in our popular modern culture. Uh, I think these, the pinnacle was in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
uh, when Hollywood would try to depict this. It's, it's always, you know, it's always a wheel within a wheel for some reason. Uh, they always do that. Well, because that's the car God drives. When God shows up in his car in the Bible, it's this thing that's described as a wheel, with, wheel, wheel within a wheel. And, uh, and so they always, they always make some kind of device in sci-fi movies that folds space-time. Okay, and it'll typically be on this big tower. And so whether it's Stargate or Contact, it'll be another movie, and again, you know, this is from that era. Um, I couldn't find anything better to illustrate this, but the idea is, is you've got this wheel within a wheel um, or this tower that somehow is connected to all of creation, and so you can fold space-time, and, and we're here, but we can get there. And, uh, and there'll be just derivatives on this same story. The, this, this, this gravity engine has the ability to fold space-time, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here, but I walk through the Stargate, and I end up in another galaxy, or uh, yeah, another, another um, 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 uh, galaxy on another planet somewhere else in the universe. Um, because it takes too long to fly a ship to get there, you just fold space time. And so, so they, you know, they, they, they make these movies and they show this stuff. It's like, um, look at the top of the screen. You've got a big pyramid spaceship landing on a tower, uh, like a space fort or something. I, I don't know what they were doing. I just know that whatever they were doing, they thought it was going to give them access to the heavens. I want you to see that, okay? And this idea of building a tower that would give you access to the heavens, that idea hasn't gone away, okay? If you start paying attention to your sci-fi movies, if you just let your nerd out a little bit, um, you're gonna see it everywhere. This is in the heart of, of men. You know, somehow we're gonna make this way to the gods without submission to the creator. So whatever this tower was, God took notice of it and it provoked him to shut it down Look at verses five and six. God came, right? The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one. They have all one language and this they begin to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Well, what did they imagine to do? We're gonna build a spaceport. <laughs> We're gonna build a way to heaven without submission to our creator. Isn't that what they imagined to do? Let us build a city, let us build a tower, let us make a name for ourselves, let us ignore Genesis chapter nine, verse one. We're gonna make a way to the heavens without submission to our creator, whose top may reach. And what did God say? They're gonna do it. That's God's commentary on their activity in verse six. So whatever they were doing, okay, and I'm just get, I don't know what they were doing, I'm just saying it was something that was gonna allow them to Isaiah 14, that's what they were built. Something that would allow them to Isaiah, can, you, can I turn a Bible reference into a verb? It was gonna let them Isaiah 14 their tail off. They're gonna stand in the place of God as God. They're gonna ascend into the sides of the north, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so God has to shut it all down. God has to, he, God provoke, they provoke God to put an end to it. And this will show up even in evangelical Christianity today, man. I mean, it's, you'll see it in the church today. People, the religious motivation, that you, you got people building towers to make a name for themselves. Um, you know, very few build because they have to. You know, in 2 Kings chapter six, what happens? God's people had to build a building because the place that they were in it was too straight for them. 
Uh, the, 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 so many people were getting involved in the ministry and their ministry training. Uh, they, needed a, they needed a bigger place to train up and send people into the work. But that's not how people think today, okay? So often, people wanna build the, the, the most attractive building and the greatest amenities. They wanna install that, not so that they have a productive place to feed the sheep and equip the saints and, and train up ministers. No, it's so that they can entertain the goats. They, got, they wanna have the biggest tower in town that, that people can't help but attend with all of the greatest benefits. And what happens is, you know, pastors build bigger buildings and country club towers in order to keep people and make a name for themselves. It's like the goal is to get into Christianity today or get a book published on a Christian bestseller list. And we, and we so often lose sight of the commission. Be fruitful, multiply. That means you're sending families out to make their own family. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. We exist for God's kingdom, not our own. Is everybody with me? This is so critical. Okay, let's look at God's concern. Again, verse five, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they began to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they imagined to do. Okay, what was God's plan? God's plan was to divide humanity in order to multiply them and replenish the earth. Physically, he did that with the families of Noah, right? He separates them into their lands and their tribes. But spiritually, he does the same. He separates the lost from the saved, the carnal from the spiritual. Uh, you can check that out in Matthew 10, Hebrews 4. I gave you the references in your notes. But, but, but here at this point in the Bible, he's trying to do it physically. He wants to separate out the families of Noah. Uh, Genesis 10, 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles, by these, by these families of humanity. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue and after their families and their nations. Deuteronomy 32, verse seven says, to remember the days of old. Remember what? Well, remember verse eight, when the most high divided to the nations their inheritance when he separated the sons of Adam. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. So what does God do? God scatters, right? God divides out people that his kingdom might multiply. And you see it in the New Testament. The believers in Jerusalem, they were told, you know, in Acts chapter one, verse eight, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. What were they told? You're gonna receive power in the Holy Ghost. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, you're gonna lay down your life being a witness of me. And it starts here in Jerusalem, but then from there to Judea, then Samaria, it's gotta reach the nations. Okay, we want the whole earth to get the gospel. And they started out well, the church started out being very fruitful in Jerusalem and Judea, but they kept not obeying all of Acts chapter one, verse eight, and so what happened? Well, God had to bring Acts chapter eight, verse one. Persecution came so that they would fulfill his commission. Acts eleven nineteen says, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled to where? The, the whole civilized world. See, man's attempts at world unity, they're not in submission to God's plan. Uh, man, man is always working for unity against the kingdom, the word, and the will of God. Man wants to produce a false unity, but it's always in rebellion 
against their creator. When God unifies people, it's through his spirit. It's when he makes them part of his family. Ephesians 4, 3 says that we have in Christ, we have the unity of the spirit, and so we need to endeavor to keep it. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So God's trying to divide them out. The advantage that Nimrod has is everybody speaks the same language, they have the same culture, they're one people. So that's the power of language, it unifies society. And, and uh, you know, 4,000 years ago the languages were confounded, but the world is rapidly becoming of one language again, so think Google Translate, right? The, the AIs of Google and Microsoft and, I mean, all of these translation algorithms are getting really advanced and really good and as a matter of fact you can get apps now where you're you know they'll the app will listen to the speaker but you're going to hear the translation live in real time in your ear I mean how amazing is that Uh, we're literally getting back to to Babel where anyone can talk to anyone anywhere at any time and so just like before God will once again have to come and crash the system so so think great tribulation right Think great tribulation. Um, You need to appreciate that. It took me 10 minutes to build that graphic. (laughs) But but that's what will happen, you know? Whenever mankind, when men get on the same page, what will it culminate as? It'll culminate as a one world government unified against the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it will work. And so God will have to once again come crash that system How will they do it? Well, it's based on the power that God gave man. It's based on the power of man's mind and imagination. God's whole point is they can accomplish anything they've imagined to do. What are they imagining to do? To get to the celestial, to get to heaven without submission to the word and the person of their creator. And God says they could do it. The judgment at Babel was to hinder their progress, mankind's progress. I mean, think about what happened at Babel. Uh, What was a technological marvel that was being constructed, God doesn't just shatter that, but he completely disrupts the technological advancement of man. It, It set back humanity by orders of magnitude. Okay, they're building a gate to the gods. They're building a way off the planet to make contact with the sons of God. There, something like that is taking place. And uh, you know your history, I mean, you know, it didn't put us in the Stone Age, but, but just about, okay? And think how this works, you know? I mean, here's Sean. You know, he and I have been working on this Tower of Babel since its inception, and, and Sean's the organizer, and, and uh, he kind of helps gets the teams laid out. And this morning we show up for work, and I'm like, okay, uh, how are we doing on our projections? Is there something that, that we need to do in terms of moving resources? What do you, what do you got, Sean? And Sean's reply to me is, I'm like, why are you speaking gibberish? And of course, all Sean's hearing is blibbity bloop from me, and, and what's happening is very quick. We're getting frustrated with each other because I'm asking a perfectly logical question. We had this conversation every day for the last 10 years, and now today you're just speaking gibberish at me. Of course, the same thing's happening for Sean, and before you know it, Sean and I, we're talking with our fists. You see how this can happen? I mean, it, it, it's so frustrating. You ever, you ever get in another culture, in a place where, where, I mean, you're in a place where you're submerged in another culture, another language, 
nobody is speaking English, nobody is speaking your language, and you're trying to figure out what's going, by the end of the day, you literally have a headache. How many know what I'm talking about? It's physically uncomfortable, it hurts. Like you're trying to figure out what's going on and you will get a headache trying to process that. I mean, it puts immense strain, emotionally, mental strain on you. Okay, all of this erupts in a moment in time. <laughs> like God just rewires everybody's brains for language in a second, in a moment of time. And, 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 and so yeah, um, it, it put us almost back to the Stone Age. All of that technology was lost. There was no way to codify it, to coordinate it. Well, in the last days, the Bible declares that this impediment gets removed. Uh, you see a clue to that in Daniel chapter 12 and verse four. Oh, Daniel, shut up the words of the book, right? Shut up the words, seal the book. Till when? Even to the time of the end. Well, what's the time of the end? Many shall run to and fro. Travel will turn into something like the world has never seen. And don't we live in days where people travel to and fro? Many do. You can get anywhere on the planet within a day. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. Uh, even with poor, poor layover times, you can be where any, any place on the planet in a day and a half. It's incredible, right? Many travel to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And with the technological revolution, knowledge has exploded, okay? They're actually talking now about throwing out Moore's Law because it doesn't adequately, adequately describe the rate at which knowledge is logarithmically now beginning to compound, okay? It's not just doubling every couple of years. No, it's logarithmically starting to compound. Knowledge shall be increased. And the culmination of what man imagines to do when he gets unified in his language and his knowledge begins to expand exponentially, what happens? Well, he rebels, because <laughs> that's his nature. The nature of man's mind leads to his destruction. In Genesis chapter eight, God recognizes that and puts it in his word for us. In verse 21, the Lord smells Noah's sacrifice, and he says something in his heart. Look at what he says. I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Why? Because if it's based on his performance, I'm gonna be wrecking them every time they turn around. Why? For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Whatever, when, he gets, when, he, when he gets his info together, his one mind, one language, and the imagination of his heart, he can now produce as reality. What is it? Well, it's evil, because that's when it's in his heart. The imagination of his heart is only evil continually. It's evil from his youth, Neither again will I smite any more every living thing as I have done. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but because his way is evil, it'll be judged. The end thereof are the ways of death. So God's solution is confusion. Uh, point number three in your notes. The confusion of the languages. Verse seven says, go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord, I mean, it worked. That's how the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did confound the language of all the earth and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So just notice in verse seven, God as a trinity is speaking, let us. He's not saying I will go down and I will, conf no, let us. So the, the trinity is taking counsel together. 
And God divides the languages. This is roughly 2347 BC. It's taken mankind over 4, 000, roughly 4,000 years to, to respond to that. Uh, just over 4,000 years to respond to that, to get back to almost completing a new Tower of Babel where we're of one mind, of one language, and the conclusion will be to get to the celestial, the eternal, without submission to our creator. And just Google the singularity. It's what they're doing. It's not a physical tower. It's an informational tower that, that will produce godlike powers and godlike longevity, all without submission to the creator. Uh, they, they talk about the singularity as, a t- singularity as a time when the technology is so increased that men can know everything, do anything, and do it as an atheist. That's what's in the imagination, the heart of men. The fr- I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. This happened before. You know, under Nimrod's king- kingdom, they're building Babel, gate to God. Okay, it's very high and lofty. It's very haughty. Uh, position that they're taking, and God turns them to confusion, Babel. We kept that word in English, Babel. What man begins to stand in the place of God, uh, the ruin of it is through his confusion. The same name, Babel, is assigned to the religious system of the Antichrist in Revelation 17. It is interesting. Here are some Babylonians, some people on Shinar, the plain of Shinar, that they want to get to heaven They want to reach the heavens without submission to God. And what's ironic is they actually do, in one way, they do reach heaven. In Revelation 18.5 says, her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. We want to make a name for ourselves in the heavens and they do that through their corruption, through their sin, Revelation 18.5. I'll just tell you this. I believe this with all my heart. If I could put Nimrod on the stage today, he would express utter regret. He would, he would explain to all of us his great and grave regret for how he rebelled against God. He would do that. Nimrod, I guarantee you, has great regret today. Well, what about us tomorrow? Tomorrow, we're gonna stand before our creator and we're gonna give an account for how we served him with our lives. And so again, this is the same question that we had in chapter 10. You're all in on something. What are you all in for? You're either building your kingdom or God's kingdom. You say, well, I'm not really doing anything with my life. Okay, well, you're doing a poor job of building your kingdom. You're just doing a terrible job of it. You're all in on something. It's for yourself or it's for your creator. Uh, I, I had to do the math on it uh, as a very young man, you know, and, and whenever I came to the recognition, we, creation didn't just happen. We didn't just get here. There is a creator. He does have expectations. I better find out what they are, (laughs) right? And only the Bible, man, only the Bible is proof. This is a proven data stream from outside of space-time. Give me some time, I can prove to you. This is a supernatural book. There's no book like this book. Okay, and it has, it, it is very clear about the Creator's will over my life. Well, that changes everything. That takes me from what am I gonna do to build my life in this world, my kingdom in this world, to whatever I do in this world, how do I make sure it falls out to God's kingdom, to God's glory? How is your life being vested? I mean, is it being invested in in just building your kingdom, your city, your tower, or are you all in in helping 
God's agenda to be fruitful, to multiply and replenish the earth. You know, there's always a reason to rebel and build your own kingdom. There'll always be some excuse for why you can't surrender your life to Christ. Well, I got a lot of drama in my life right now. Got a lot of hardship, got a lot of problems. There's a lot of distractions. There will always be what the, Lord will tr- what, the, what the world will try to sell you as legitimate excuses for why you gotta live your life for yourself. But at some point, Christian, you gotta grow up, you gotta wake up, you gotta grow up, and you gotta decide you're all in. How is your life, can you identify how your life is falling out to God's glory? How are you being a part of seeing God's kingdom grow? Are you fruitful? Are you multiplying? Are you a part of replenishing the family of God. That's what we exist for. You say, I'm in junior high. Well, be careful. Be careful the life that you pick for yourself because you can live an entire life wasting it on trying to build your kingdom. Nobody's, nobody's content, nobody's satisfied, nobody's, nobody gets into that life and say, you know, Frank Sinatra sings this song, everybody loves it, I did it my way, you know comes to the end of everything, no matter what, man. I can say this so proudly, I did it my, Frank Sinatra is not singing, I did it my way right now. Right, right there with Nimrod, he would say that was wrong, that was bad theology. Colossians three tells you, okay, the life you live, is it God's or not? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong, and this is written to Christians, y'all. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There's no respect of persons. Even a Christian has the capacity to waste their life and get the fruit of that, get the reward of that. You're a part of a soul winning, disciple making, leadership training, equipping and sending church. How is your, you, you say, well I'm in banking or I'm in, uh, I'm in uh, customer service, or I'm, I'm in construction, or I'm, okay, fine. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Your life is building a kingdom. Is it yours or is it God's? You say, well, I, man, all I do at my job is make money. Okay, well, how are you investing that money, that resource? Are you managing it so that you can go on a mission trip? Are you managing it so that you can help send someone on a mission trip? Are you managing it so that you'll have cash I mean, you gotta take care of your family. That's a work of God. A man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever, an infidel, the Bible says. Okay, but am I managing my resources so that I'm supporting a missionary, a church planner, a new church plant? In other words, is, am, can I show, can I see how I'm managing my life so that it ultimately falls out to God's glory, the building of God's kingdom? Brothers and sisters, does this make sense? Father, I come to you right now in Jesus' name, and Lord, I'm asking that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, some of us today, we need to surrender. We need to submit our lives to getting on a path of growth that will equip us to win souls and make disciples. Others of us, there's relationships that we need to walk away from, or or there's a job that we need to leave, or a new job that we need to find. Uh, There's decisions that, that, that we recognize in light of your word that we need to make so that we don't end up ultimately wasting our lives. And so God, I pray for that wisdom and that discernment for my brothers and sisters. Lord, there may be some here today that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. And so Lord, I pray that 
today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that, that so that they'd have the opportunity to, to quit building a false kingdom and, and just be a part of yours, your kingdom, your family, your life and, and, and in relationship with you. God, I pray that you'd work in our hearts in a way that's glorifying to you but also a blessing for us. We wanna receive not for the wrong that we've done but we wanna receive for the obedience that we have in Christ. We serve the Lord Christ. And Lord, we ask for this today in Jesus' name, amen.